0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Nash, founder and CEO of Integrity. In this episode, Nash shares the hardest part of starting a company straight out of school and the perks of naive optimism when starting a company. We also discuss what Integrity is and how the company was born, the impact of integrations on the retention, and the main differences between B2C and B2B when it comes to churn and retention. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximise your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas, brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Nash, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you, Andrew. Glad to be here.
0: It's good to have you. For the listeners, Nash is the founder and CEO of Integri, an integration experience your users will love. Fresh out of university, Nash started his entrepreneurial journey as the co-founder and CTO of Sixth Sense before making a move to Ericsson. Nash then founded a couple of other companies on his route to where he is today at Integri. So my first question for you, Nash, is like, what was the hardest part for you of starting a company coming straight out of university?
1: it's it's actually pretty weird it was something i always wanted to do and so i grew up in pakistan and much of the people if you talk to in the pakistan india general area anybody who was born in the 80s we idolized bill gates bill gates like every kid's dream like everybody looked up to them so everybody in india and in pakistan and so i always knew i wanted to do a company i knew it since my eighth grade and as a matter of fact um While I was in my university in my third year, the company Sixth Sense that you mentioned, it was the first opportunity we had was about computer-based training. And so it was stupidly easy to get into it because we were very naive. We thought everything was super easy. We're just going to do it. And the idea was, again, Bill Gates as a persona, was somebody who had worked hard and used his intelligence to become the world's richest guy. Again, this is a kid just looking at the media without knowing a lot of details and context, but just the idea of somebody who can really work hard and become the world's richest using technology was mind-blowing. And so I thought that's how it should be. And so starting it was really easy. I think anybody can start a company. is what happens after, which is hard. And I think it's, it typically becomes the usual suspects. In the beginning, we were working with a few large customers like the UN and so on. And very quickly, we learned that user feedback is really important. Uh, and so the old way of doing things, and I'm, I graduated in 2004, So back then, Agile was still very new and things were still done in this waterfall fashion. And we learned the hard way that you need early customer feedback you need to iterate better. And so that's still today is one of the hardest things. And it's actually hard getting feedback out of customers. If you have a self service product, a a product-led growth company, um, if 100 customers face an issue, I'd say only one person actually bothers to get angry enough to report it. And so getting feedback is still, I think, Still, one of the hardest things. Everything else, I think, is somewhat you can figure out, but not knowing what to do or how exactly you're doing, I think that's as critical.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think like the one thing is if you're not getting feedback, also the things that probably people don't care enough about your products or service, you have an even bigger problem if you're not hearing the bad feedback. But I also think what you touched on as well was like that naivety is definitely something like I notice as I get older now as well. Like starting new companies again is that, like. When you are younger, you think less about all the things that need to be tackled and things that need to get done and like anything is possible and we're just going to get this done. There's that sort of, I think there's there's strength, not strength, not the right word, but like you're able to do more. I think when you have this like naivety approach to things and getting started because the beginner's mindset, like you're just coming to it, like anything can be done. You can think about things differently and uh, there's definitely a certain power that comes with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I would say that a lot of entrepreneurs who've done great things in their life, if they on the onset knew how hard it was going to be, they wouldn't have done it. And so, yeah. naive optimism actually, it was too late. They couldn't now get out of it. So, they had to go all the way. And many entrepreneurs have are, are well known to saying that our it was thanks to our naivety we went this far. I do believe that in today, in a good team, you need a mix of both. You need idealists who are early naive, and you need older people who have some experience. There has to be good balance. As I grow older, just like you mentioned, um, and I was starting this company in 2017 I actually made a list of all the companies I wanted to do and I wanted to do an electric car company I wanted to do a decentralized solar grid I wanted to do Uber for farming all these lists but because I'm visor, I knew all the things that would go wrong these are all the risks here this is all this is the, and so when I was young I would look at the opportunity and now I'm older I look at all the way things will fall apart and how hard it's going to be And I miss some of that naivety and I wish I could erase some parts of my experience, but I completely concur.
0: Absolutely. It's super interesting that you went through that process of just trying to figure out what to do next and then allowing your own self doubt and thinking like of all the problems that can come occur that might not. But talk to us a little bit about integrity as well. Like I think i I'm sure I came across the initial launch on Product Hunt. I was really fascinated by the idea as a previous Zapier user, like having used Zapier quite heavily in different places. And obviously being a startup founder myself, like I was really intrigued by the idea and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I saw it was like what Zapier does for the consumer you do for businesses and you allow businesses to create that same experience within their products, but not having them to have Zapier accounts. So I think like A lot of startups might try in the early days, like, okay, Zapier is a great move for me to integrate with because it allows my customers to interact with all their different services. But that means your customers need to have another service like Zapier as well for that to work. Am I correct? Am I getting that I think you're
1: broadly correct. So what Integrity does is that we help B2B SaaS companies create, build, manage, and deploy integrations for their end users. So say you are a CRM, you need to have a way to give your end users the ability to import their data. For example, your new customer, your onboarding, to import data and you might need to give users the ability to sync data between multiple systems maybe you are setting up a sync with you know a hotspot or whatever or maybe you are trying to get customers from competitive areas from other products you want to have the ability to have a sync there or maybe you have some customer workflows lead created in my crm i want to get a notification on slack and so on so today in 2021 integrations is not exactly a solved problem so if you ask an engineering team how are you guys doing integration you'll get a whole host of answers there's Uh, Zapier is is definitely one of the go-to marketplaces where companies use. And it's really great. It's a really helpful, tool, And I think Zapier did a fantastic job in making integrations popular and reducing the barriers such that anybody could be an integrator. The industry uses the term citizen integrator. And and so Zapier, that day in 2012, when they came along and they did a good job of this, anybody could be an integrator, The issue happened. So the reason why we started this company was that before this company, I started in 2017, I was working as head of engineering at at a company called Convo and Convo is like a Facebook for work. So it's essentially like your own social network and a social network without integration doesn't really do much. It's like having a communication tool like Slack without integration doesn't really help much. And so what we did was on the request of one of our customers, we implemented a Salesforce integration. So the way it worked was whenever there is a new lead at it, you'll just create a post in your social feed. And what we saw, the numbers really just spiked up. We saw a lot of daily active usage just increase, and it was really cool seeing all of that. And what happened was that we built that integration through Zapier. And the issue with that was that our customers were non-technical. So there were like people in SMB, people in HR, and so on. And what we were asking them to do is, Hey, if you want to do this integration, we want you to leave our app, go to zapier.com, sign up, figure out what their triggers, actions and all that stuff is and build that integration, but also Salesforce is a paid app. So you have to upgrade. So you have to pay Zapier as well. And we found that 80, 85 percent users would just simply drop. They wouldn't go ahead. And what we ended up doing was we ended up collecting all these Zapier usernames and passwords and just working on the user's behalf. In parallel, what we did was we built the same integration in house. And what we found out, and so the way it worked it was just a button you, you clicked, you said authorize Salesforce, and you were done, right? Much cleaner experience. And what we found out was that the in app integration outperformed the exact same one on Zapier by 30x, not 30%, but 30 times. And so given the option, user would just prefer in app integration. And I think this echoes our daily experience. If you're using Slack, you'd rather use built-in app if it matches your needs you wouldn't go to zapier unless uh, you do that and that became really important because what we found out was once a user is integrated the user has a 30 to 40 percent lower churn because now they're getting data whether they log in or not this notion of an always active user came into being um and so we looked around we couldn't find a company that did integrations in-app or could maybe solve this for us in-app and we started the company so i and the head of integrations and we both of us both of the engineers we both quit to start this company and so interview today because of this origin story because of its experience we put a lot of emphasis on a fantastic end user experience so if you look at any of our customers today if you sign up on their app and you go to the integration page it all looks native it looks like it was designed by their own team the user SDK. The sign up experience is super clean. You can have a, a very clean wizard, and that wizard could do something very complex, like it is importing data and simultaneously then setting up a live two way sync. Stuff that you are, is non trivial on off site integration platform, like Zapier and all these other things, because a regular user can't set up something so complex. So we have these, so, so we create this idea of an IX, an integration experience. And this is what the user sees in the UI, how these are set set up in the UX. And then when the integration runs in the background, all these issues around this, your data European, is the other app state American? All these data conversion issues, ETL and all that stuff, how well does that integration run? So all these three things, the UI, UX, and the running of the integration, we call it as an IX. And our thesis is that users today expect integrations from the get-go. 10, 15 years ago, these public cloud companies would require integrations, but now if you're starting off, if you are a pre-seed company, you need integrations. And so we're on a mission to make it very easy for B2B SaaS companies to integrate with this whole ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I absolutely see that. And I see it as a pre-seed company as well, like founder of one myself. Like I've literally been on conversations where I'm giving a demo and then I'm showing like through our integration, you can do X, Y, or Z, and then... Questions come in. So, do I need a Zapier account to make this work? Like, how does? And then you need to go through the process of explaining all of that when uh, something that's actually built natively into your product that's already like pre-filled, and you don't need to tell them what details to put in which field and so forth. Definitely looking into integrity seriously on our side as well as an option to provide that service. Nice. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, this sort of came out of a pain point that you faced at the previous company where you at at Convo you mentioned something around like how it increased activation or retention around 30 X or engagement economy, what is exactly, but this is definitely a theme we've heard previously on the show of the impact of integrations on retention itself. And maybe you want to talk into that a little bit more, like how did you go about understanding that this was the increase and was a result of the integration? What did the team do from there afterwards?
1: Absolutely. What happened was that, so there Integration is a very general term, and I typically don't like it because it's like saying, when you say you sell integration, it's like saying, I sell computers. And so it means many things to many people. But I think integrations is at least three things. One is, it is helping users onboard on your app, which means they're maybe importing data. It means setting up maybe some sort of a workflow, live one way or two way. And it can also mean automations on top of your app. So for example, there are certain things that you want to set up as workflows within your app as well. So integrity does all of these three things. And so just going back to the origin story here, um, the main reason why we lost users when we sent them to Zapier was, these were not very technical users. And so the UI and the number of steps that you saw were quite a lot. And so that took a lot of uh, understanding on their end to just set something up like that. So uh, that became very clear from a product experience perspective that in-app integrations is definitely going to win. The challenge with that is, it is non-trivial to build maybe hundreds of integrations for your app. So we had to solve this problem in that way. But if you just think about it from a user experience perspective, so for example, let's suppose you are a Slack user. And if you are if you want to connect Slack with, let's say, Salesforce, the first thing you might do is you would just visit the Slack app store, which has a list of all the integrations that they have. And so you would just click on that and you would activate that. And in most cases, in 90% of the users' cases, you're done. Most the general use cases are covered by the main app. You wouldn't necessarily go to these offsite integrations, but let's suppose that app doesn't really do what you want. That's when you would Google the word Slack Salesforce integration. And that's where all these integration companies will do SEO and SEM to capture your attention over there. And so our thesis is that if you're buying an app, a B2B SaaS app that you're paying for, and it comes with integrations or they come batteries included, so to speak, um, you are much more bound to use that in-app integration because the experience is better. And so the numbers, like I mentioned, the range was 20X to 40X, higher setup rate for integration versus using an offset integration. And then the users that set up the integration have a 30% lower churn. And the reason was that if you're a new app and if I'm a CRM and I, and I can't integrate with a calendar, if I can't integrate with my email or tap, I'm dead on the right. I'm DOA. Obviously, nobody's going to use me. That in some apps, it becomes table stakes. You cannot even get off the ground without having integrations, especially the ones with import. But then also apps that, so it's, for example, in the, if you set up integration with Slack, with Salesforce, whenever there's a new opportunity, that's a way for you to, if you're Slack, that's a way for you to pull users back into your app. show activity over there and it's a way to excuse me it's a way for you to show ongoing value into your app and i actually like that because um a lot of these SaaS companies focus on daily active usage where everybody's trying to get you to log into their app and it puts a lot of pressure on you that just so their key value metric is are you logging in stuff like that integrations allow your users your customers to continue on getting the benefit of your app without necessarily having to log in there, there are many apps which which do this but uh, I think integrations really improve uh, retention and the value that you give your users by virtue of an automatic, always on, always active user.
0: It's funny that you mentioned this because we had this debate quite a bit at Hotjar when we were looking into sort of like the tracking. And at one point, we were setting up a Slack integration and again like we were measuring like weekly active usage or daily active usage depending on if a user actually had come into the product and triggered certain actions and with places like slack you can track certain aspects through the platform but not everything and this was like the question is okay so how are we going to understand now if this really makes an impact or if it doesn't what are we looking to track in each platform Uh, because ultimately like just because a user is not coming to the product doesn't mean they're not receiving value from it. If anything, the value is increased now because they don't need to waste the time coming to the product and they get it where they're already working. It's definitely an interesting point and one just to figure out and think out, okay, how is this, if this is something you want to be able to measure, how are you going to be able to do that effectively to understand that you're delivering like a really an increased and better experience for your end user at the end of the day and not thinking about metrics for the sake of metrics. So... Nice. You mentioned before the show as well that actually Integrity started out and churn retention was one of the reasons. Like, was the reason uh, this starting out with integra- integrations or was there something else that sparked it?
1: Definitely. The the heart of the problem was that our users were not being able to set up integrations. And if they wouldn't, they would not be sticky. They wouldn't get value or at worst, they would, it would fail for them. And so they wouldn't necessarily set up. Definitely that was one of the, the a real problem that we identified. And in some ways, it's tragic. I mentioned all the other startups I wanted to do. The so cool Sun, right? There's like electric car and all that stuff. But ultimately, I, the, the safe thing was something which I had actually seen myself and I had experienced it directly because this is a problem I saw firsthand. And I knew customers that I can go to and talk to right now, whereas the other ones, while exciting, required more work. And I, so I like to joke, we do something very boring. We do internet. But it's a very important thing to do. And the reason I say that is that integration is a precursor to automation. So once the systems talk to each other, then you can implement automations on top of that. So once in a factory, if if the central system can talk to different robots or in any system, uh, the communication happens through integration. And so once you have integration in place, you can do really cool automations on top of that. Our core idea here is that with the SaaS, the Ryzen SaaS, every... Worker is being inundated with a lot of apps that they have to use. It's like app fatigue. Yeah, the average worker is not switching between 12 and 14 apps, and so that's a lot. But apps are really awesome. Apps are like magic powers, and they really make you more productive. But what's happening is we're hitting this logical limit on how many apps a single person can use. And a lot of the stuff that you do, you shouldn't necessarily be doing. You're like a modern clerk just moving data between a lot of these apps. So I think a lot of that stuff should be automated away, and you should be free from the drudgery to do the more creative aspects of your job. And what that allows you to do is allows you to maybe use more apps and it allows you to do more productive stuff. And it's funny, if you look at the apps that you use today, I think more than half of them did not exist 10 years ago. And so this is going to keep on accelerating, but you can't keep on adding more apps because it's just a lot. So one way of mitigating that is having good, clean integrations. That's how we're approaching this. And I do feel that if we don't solve this problem, there's like a a limit on how much a modern worker can really use and advance and manage these apps.
0: Yeah, for sure. At some point, there becomes diminishing returns on the performance gains you're getting from all of these apps. I'm interested as well on another topic, uh, just to diverse a little bit, is that previously as well, you were one of the founders of Pring, which I think, as you mentioned, is one of the largest social networks in Pakistan. At some point, you had over 8 million users. Coming into now like a b two b environment having worked in like the b two c for most uh, of your career. And in the like the context of trend and retention, what would you say is like one of the big differences, and what would you say is like something that's absolutely common across both?
1: It's a great question. And I, and so uh, just for context, we build one of Pakistans. I'm originally from Pakistan, so we built one of the largest social networks in Pakistan before we sold it again. I'm an old hand, so this is early, late 2000s and then early 2010s. And so I am from a B2C background. And so today is popular to say PLG product, but in the B2C world, that's the only way you do things. There is no sales guy, there is no document that you have to read. You want to use Facebook, you use Facebook. You want to put images out, you just use Instagram. There is no provisioning of Photos on Instagram, stuff like that, and so everything is just as simple as possible. Suzanne, one of the uh, artists, very early stage artists who worked on the Apple computer, um, then she joined, and they were like, "You gotta design this like a game, so that nobody uses a manual to do a game, and so on in that fashion." So when I started Integrity, as a matter of fact, I, Integrity was a sales-led company, and so you couldn't sign up on Integrity; you had to go to the website you had to sign up for a demo call, a sales guy would do the song and dance in front of you. And if you liked what you saw, you would then maybe purchase and stuff like that. And we'd make promises, this is what the integrator would do. And so just the typical sales process. Ultimately, what we thought was that integration is a early enough pain and a common enough pain from startup level that, that we need to flip this model and we need to make integrations more accessible. And what we realized was the most easiest way to make integrations accessible is pricing. So every company you talk to today in, the, in what is called the IPaaS, the integration platform as a service space, they have these annual upfront contracts, they have these big commitments and stuff like that. And we said, let's just put in a, a very generous free tier. So we give like a very large free 10,000, what we call the uh, every Like a single import is one run. So 10,000 runs a month is for free. And the idea was that, and then we had to make a self-service product. And this is a really hard product to make self-service because integrations are hard. We do a whole bunch of things and we're still, we launched uh, in October. So we're very new in the new self-service product. And we're still going through feedback. And, and so any customer that signs up, they send feedback, we're very grateful to them. But a lot of those lessons in the B2C world that we had were like you said, users are, if they don't like it, they're silent. If they'll come in, they won't complain. And so a lot of those things you start seeing and a lot of those lessons and how you track funnels and how you do experiments and how you iterate, the B2C world knows this really well. The B2B world is just catching up on that. It's just literally learning what they're calling it PLG and stuff like that. So a lot of those lessons were very useful. My co-founder who's in Germany, he was the head of innovation and growth at Line Messenger, which is, you know, the Far Eastern market is the largest messenger, I think half a billion users. And so he's also very much familiar with how to run a a B2C, a PLG-based motion. And I do feel that even today, uh, B2B is not where it can be when it comes to um, product UI and UX and the PLG motion. And I think B2B companies need to hire more people from B2C, especially from the acquisition side and the onboarding side. There's a lot to do there. And then I also think that B2C companies are actually far behind gaming companies. If you want to see good UI and UX, you should play games. They've done a phenomenal job. For example, King has... The reason why King and Farmill and all those guys became successful is that they did a phenomenal job in becoming literal psychological hackers and getting you to click and so on. Not necessarily good, but useful lessons over there. But I think there's a lot of things for the B2B community to learn from the B2C community and from the gaming community and so on.
0: Yeah, I definitely see the analogy and the, the drivers between the two. And again, like that the PLG sort of movement that's come about is, is really nothing new. As you say, it's been in existence forever. It's more just a focusing on creating really great UX for your users and everything else comes from there. We might have said a few people by saying that on the show today. But, but it's funny, it, right?
1: Like PLG is a very recent term. But yeah. Uh, products have been there since the beginning. B- B2C products have been there since the beginning of time. Facebook has been there since the beginning. Google is PLG, essentially. Google is PLG. It's been there since ninety one. Uh, sorry, 99. Uh, they never called it that, but certainly, it, and obviously not criticizing anybody, but certainly, this is, this is this new way of doing things. Not quite, right? So, if you want to do good PLG, I think there's a lot of learnings from B2C that can be used.
0: Yeah, but I really like the point you made as well is just thinking outside the box a little bit and actually hiring from B2C brings in a lot of domain expertise and, and things like that. I remember at Hotshot itself, we were a B2B company, but we ended up hiring quite a few people from B2C companies. And like you said, the level of sophistication when it comes to experimentation and setting up programs, like is it a much higher bar than anyone coming from any other SaaS business out there? And I think just because also you have the luxury then of the huge user base that you can get to that level of sophistication absolutely. that's required, uh, I think with the B2C business. So um, absolutely saw that absolutely. as well experience.
1: And one of the things as B2B founders, I think we are afraid of if we burn these users because of an experiment, is there a large enough TAM? Is there a large enough market available? And that is a constant fear. And, and I was definitely, one of the biggest hesitations I had from moving from a sales led to a product led organization was this question. Because we are currently selling with B two B SaaS companies, how many B two B SaaS companies are really there? How big is this market? And as a starting point, it's it's just our starting point. Is there are further concentric circles where we increase our time, but this is our beachhead. But it turns out there were a lot. We we just launched in October, and the goals we had for the number of signed the number of companies that would we actually have the end of the year the goal we had we have already crossed four x. Even though we knew the market was large, but it is it's been tremendously large. and I think it helps to take some of those naive risks from youth that we just talked about. And so I think that's very useful. And the other thing I think B2C people bring is velocity. These guys move really fast and they are very impatient, which I think is a good mix to have in a company, in a B2B world, which is typically slower.
0: Absolutely. Very cool. I wanna save some time because I see we're running up on it. a question that I ask every guest. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario that you join a new company, general retention is not doing great, The CEO comes in and says, hey, Nash, we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. What do you do? But the catch is you're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers, find the biggest pain Uh points and start there because that's what everyone would do. You're just going to pick something that you've seen be effective in one of your previous roles and you're going to run with that playbook blindly. What would it be?
1: I'd be like, hey, do you guys have integrations right now? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like both of us walked into that one. So yeah, if you're a B2B SaaS company, I would definitely, retention-wise, that's one of the things that I, I look at. And because that's one of the yeah. reasons that we exist and so on. Um, so that's something I know will work. So if there are customers looking for demanding integrations, which I'm sure there are. If you 2 B2B SaaS company, you cannot exist in isolation. The day of a SaaS computer not connected to the world is over. SaaS apps have to become connected apps. So that's definitely there. Beyond that, it, I feel it hard becomes hard to give a general answer without getting specific here. But I'm obviously I, I truly believe there are just two gold standards. Either they're people paying you money or they're using your product. And so um, you would look at usage data, you'll see where the, the pipelines are falling off and what can you do to improve them. And and the answers are necessarily not necessarily clear. I remember Twitter in very some years ago, they increased their onboarding flow. They went from four screens of onboarding to six, and that actually improved retention. They added screens for what are your interests? Would you like to follow these accounts? And that actually improved retention. And so similarly in Slack, Stuart Burfield has has famously said, saving clicks is not necessarily improving the user experience. And it does require more deeper dive. But that's my answer. Go with integration. Look for a company that name is closer to the word integrations
0: so if you want to do it to sum that up it's like use integrations if you want to do 90 days use integrity and yeah cool but i also like the points as well that's come up quite a bit on the show about the onboarding experience and how everybody's like reduced the number of clicks but that's not always what's best for the user and best for the experience that you're going to deliver to them so it really just goes back to really thinking through the experience and what's best for the user as opposed to just okay this is an extra thing they need to do but if that extra thing adds extra value, then yes, maybe that's the extra thing they should be doing. Last question then. What's one thing today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career?
1: Oh, with my career, hard to say. I think if, I mentioned this before that a lot of users that churn don't really tell you why. They'll not talk to you. And that number is very, surprisingly low. It's less than 1% of that. And so if a user is churning, you need to, make assumptions of that, why they might be churning. And obviously this requires interviews and like more aggressively talking to users. But I think, and most users are nice to you. So don't necessarily tell you the actual reason. So getting in feedback from users using a scientific method, I think early on is very important. Trying to separate your, and this is a, this is called Solomon's Paradox. Because every startup is your baby, you tend to make bad decisions because you're very emotionally entangled with the product. You believe in this idea and you think that you are right. And so it's when you're going through a breakup, it's it's very hard for you to just separate yourself from the actual problem. And your friends will give you great advice. They'll tell you what to do here. And that's why it's very important to have other people, uh, and talking to users, in it, but also having advisors and people who are not necessarily emotionally involved in that. I learned this after my first startup. I'm an old hand here, but in general, it's a hard lesson to learn. You don't make good decisions because you are unable to separate yourself from the actual issue. So I think these two things are, are key here. Uh, to be able to use a scientific method to really go after the insights rather than what you want the insights to be. And the other thing is that um, retention is an indication about Uh, churn is an indication that users, if they're not getting value, it's a clear indication of that. And it's your pre-market, pro-market fit. And so I think, again, talking to customers in a way which is useful is very important. Uh, But this sounds like very generic advice, but I think I feel like every entrepreneur should just keep on, never forget that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely mistakes I made in the early days as well. this time around, it's like got to continuously like always be speaking daily to customers really trying to understand the direction you're going and always like course correcting. And the thing you mentioned as well, like having, that inherit bias as a founder, like you have a vision for your product. It's like one of the, the things I heard from somebody once and that's stuck with me a long time is don't be precious like with your ideas, be precious with the problem uh, and focus on the problem because the first uh, idea you have might not be necessarily the way to solve it. Uh, but if you stick to like really trying to solve the problem, then uh, that's a way you can avoid these biases coming in to trying to stay coarse on something that's clearly not going to work or uh, never meant to happen. Absolutely.
1: One of the greatest architects of our time, Christopher Alexander, he wrote the book called A Pattern Language, which is now commonly used in other areas, especially in software. He, he said, don't get attached to your ideas. And so he had this very interesting technique that if he's designing a house, he would do very quick designs in rapid succession. He'll do 10, 15, 20. And what happens if you spend too much time on one idea, you end up marrying that too quickly, whereas you haven't explored the space yet. So I, so I, really, I really like this technique, but I completely agree with what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Very nice. Uh, Nash, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of on your end? No,
1: it was a really nice talking to you as well. Uh a super fun conversation. I'm very passionate about integrations, automation, Steiner taking over. Oh, no, maybe not that. But if you're any questions on integrations or any, if you're a BB SaaS company, if you want to reach out and just discuss what, what integrations look like, what is an IX and stuff like that, I'm very happy to have the conversation. I am at Nash on Twitter. I uh, signed up very early on. I'm like user 800 or something. So if you find me there, please reach out. I'm happy to uh, chat with you.
0: Very cool. And we'll obviously leave uh, links in the show notes uh, to Integri and to anything mentioned uh, today. Yeah, it was a pleasure chatting to you. Wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks for joining.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. Have a great day.